Section 10 of Old and New Masters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Old and New Masters by Robert Lind. Chapter 6 Henry James. Part 1 The Novelist of Grains and Scruples. Henry James is an example of a writer who enjoyed immense fame but little popularity. Some of his best books, I believe, never passed into second editions. He was, above all novelists, an esoteric author. His disciples had the pleasure of feeling like persons initiated into mysteries. He was subject, like a religious teacher, to all kinds of conflicting interpretations. He puzzled and exasperated even intelligent people. They often wondered what he meant and whether it was worth writing about. Mr. Wells, or whoever wrote Boone, compared him to a hippopotamus picking up a pea. Certainly, he laboured over trifles, as though he were trying to pile Pelion on Ossa. He was capable, had he been a poet, of writing an epic made up of incidents chosen from the gossip of an old maid in the upper middle classes. He was a novelist of grains and scruples. I have heard it urged that he was the supreme incarnation of the nonconformist conscience, perpetually concerned with infinitesimal details of conduct. As a matter of fact, there was much more of the aesthete in him than of the nonconformist. He lived for his tastes. It is because he is a novelist of tastes rather than of passions that he is unlikely ever to be popular, even to the degree to which Meredith is popular. One imagines him from his childhood as a perfect connoisseur, a dilettante. He has told us how, as a child, in New York, Paris, London and Geneva, he enjoyed more than anything else the far-from-showy practice of wandering and dawdling and gaping. And while giving us this picture of the small boy that was himself, he comments, there was the very pattern and measure of all he was to demand. Just to be somewhere, almost anywhere would do, and somehow receive an impression or an accession, feel a relation or a vibration. That is the essential Henry James, the collector of impressions and vibrations. Almost anywhere would do. That is what makes some of his stories just miss being as insipid as the verse in a magazine. On the other hand, of few of his stories is this true. His personality was too definitely marked to leave any of his work flavourless. His work reflects him as the arrangement of a room may reflect a charming lady. He brings into every little world that he enters the light of a new and refined inquisitiveness. He is as watchful as a cat. Half his pleasure seems to come from waiting for the extraordinary to peep and peer out of the ordinary. That is his adventure. He prefers it to seas of bloodshed. One may quarrel with it if one demands that art shall be as violent as war, and shall not subdue itself to the level of a game. But those who enjoy the spectacle of a game played with perfect skill will always find reading Henry James an exciting experience. It would be unfair, however, to suggest that the literature of Henry James can be finally summed up as a game. He is unquestionably a virtuoso. He uses his genius as an instrument upon which he loves to reveal his dexterity even when he is shy of revealing his immortal soul. But he is not so inhuman in his art as some of his admirers have held him to be. Mr. Whoever, I think, has described him as pitiless and even cruel. But can one call Daisy Miller pitiless? Or what Maisie knew? Certainly, those autobiographical volumes, A Small Boy and Others, and Notes of a Son and Brother, which may be counted among the most wonderful of the author's novels, are pervaded by exquisite affections which to a pitiless nature would have been impossible. 
Henry James is even sufficiently human to take sides with his characters. He never does this to the point of lying about them, but he is in his own still way, passionately on the side of the finer types. In The Turn of the Screw, which seems to me to be the greatest ghost story in the English language, he has dramatised the duel between good and evil, and the effect of it, at the end of all its horrors, is that of a hymn in praise of courage. One feels, though a more perverse theory of the story has been put forward, that the governess, who fights against the evil in the big house, has the author also fighting as her ally and the children's. Similarly, Maisie has a friend in the author. He is never more human, perhaps, than when he is writing not about human beings, but about books. It is not inconceivable that he will live as a critic long after he is forgotten as a novelist. No book of criticism, to compare with his notes on novelists, has been published in the present century. He brought his imagination to bear upon books, as he brought his critical and analytical faculty to bear upon human beings. Here there was room for real heroes. He idolised his authors as he idolised none of his characters. There is something of moral passion in the reverence with which he writes of the labours of Flaubert, and Balzac, and Stevenson, and even of Zola. He lied none of them into perfection, it is true. He accepted and even advertised their limitations. But in each of them he found an example of the hero as artist. His characterization of Flaubert as the operative conscience or vicarious sacrifice of a styless literary age is the pure gold of criticism. The piety most real to her, Fleda says in the spoils of Poynton, was to be on one's knees before one's high standard. Henry James himself had that kind of piety. Above all recent men of letters, he was on his knees to his high standard. People may wonder whether his standard was not, to an excessive degree, a standard of subtlety rather than of creative imagination, at least in his later period. And undoubtedly his subtlety was to some extent a matter of make-believe. He loved to take a simple conversation, and by introducing a few subtle changes, to convert it into a sort of hieroglyphics that need an interpreter. He grew more and more to believe that it was not possible to tell the simple truth, except in an involved way. He would define a gesture with as much labour as Shakespeare would devote to the entire portrait of a woman. He was a realist of civilised society, in which both speech and action have to be sifted with scientific care before they will yield their grain of motive. The humorous patience with which Henry James seeks for that grain is one of the distinctive features of his genius. But, it may be asked, are his people real? They certainly are real in the relationships in which he exhibits them. But they are real like people to whom one has been introduced in a foreign city, rather than like people who are one's friends. One does not remember them like the characters in Meredith or Mr Hardy. Henry James, indeed, is himself the outstanding character in his books. That fine and humorous collector of European ladies and gentlemen, that savourer of the little lives of the old world, and the little adventures of those who have escaped from the new, that artist who brooded over his fellows in the spirit less of a poet than a man of science, that sober and fastidious trifler. This is the image which presides over his books, and which gives them their special character, and will attract tiny but enthusiastic companies of readers to them for many years to come. End of section 10